Welcome back to Studio Z. We have another episode today. I'm delighted to be joined by my friend Vivek Sharma. Um, Vivek, say hi to the audience and introduce yourself. Hello, great to be here and lots of gratitude. I know it's Thanksgiving week, so thank you for having me. Yeah, the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Are we supposed to reveal that? I don't, anyway, yeah, it's okay. the day before Thanksgiving, but you know yeah, the, it's not live. Yeah, behind the curtains, <laughs> behind the curtains, that's right. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself then. What, you know, what do you do? How did you get there? Uh, so, very quick history. I started as a PM intern at Microsoft, uh, loved it came back PM full-time. I spent 16 years at Microsoft, worked on a lot wow. of stuff, Office 365. I accidentally became an engineer through the way, graduated as a distinguished engineer, left to Meta, reset set everything, uh, went back to IC, uh, and then grew from there working on Marketplace, Facebook Gaming, uh, and most recently the Horizon work in Metaverse, left as a VP, came uh, to Stripe, uh, the last year and a half, um, and am learning all about all kinds of ways that money moves through the world, but also helping businesses thrive. And awesome. So, you know, we love talking about uh, product and engineering excellence here, engineering mm -hmm. culture. You're sort of a product manager by trade, it sounds like. Yep. But we got to dig into this distinguished engineer thing a little. Yep. Um, so from my perspective, remember when I joined Microsoft, there was these two titles that were like the 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 knights of the round table or something like you know what you know the ones I'm going for the yep. distinguished engineer yep. and then the technical fellow um, very very cool how did you become a, a DE as was, which was the short term as a PM isn't that is that does, uh, were you the first to do that or yes yeah, so I think I I think I was the first uh, and it was not intentional uh, I think that was just I think Microsoft one thing it does really well is helps recognize people in many different ways uh, yeah you know one of them is uh, uh, individual excellence. Um, sometimes you become a manager at Microsoft. There's also levels and comp and everything else that's like behind the scenery. But I think like I would really appreciate about Microsoft is a recognition that uh, you can have impact in a discipline that stretches far into the technical realm. And so yeah. that's what that was about. Um, and it was mostly because we ended up creating Office 365 from scratch when there wasn't a lot of prior art that existed in enterprise and B2B software on how to run services. Uh, if you recall, like around that time, it was like, you know, hmm. Google was the big company doing data center stuff and their model was radically different. And consumer services, which are not about data residency, hmm. they're not about the special requirements of enterprises. Uh, one giant data center serving the entire world type of thing. Of course, redundancy and stuff uh, and some details. And going radically to, to a world where you know, Microsoft um, changed everything almost uh, in its operating mm. model, business model, and technology to address what has now become probably the biggest cloud in the world. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of the reason why. Interesting. It's probably underappreciated that switch, actually. Like, you know, uh, uh, just how big a change that was for, for a company. With. I think you end up, like, forgetting how uh, institutionally large these changes yeah. can become, right? Yeah. And so the secular change of movement to the cloud probably unlocked more value for Microsoft than most anything else, yeah. So I, the first time, I, even though we overlapped at Microsoft, we yeah. never met. So I, I didn't have too much uh, interactions with My the, loss. the office team. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, I don't yeah. think so. Uh, but the first time I met you was uh, at Meta. And uh, so we have a lot of shared culture there, obviously. Mm -hmm. You are friends with, and he said I could say this, have just hired Josh Williams, who yes. was the first sort of the inception of this whole show when we did our Facebook posters series. Worked closely with Vijay as well, who's been on here, and Rajiv, yep. who obviously set you up for this, <laughs> for yeah, this adventure. Yeah, it's hard to turn it down when somebody endorses Thanks, Rajiv. That's yes. why we do it. Yeah. And Rajiv. so I thought we'd yeah. start with a, with a very simple one for you. So let's do the Facebook posters thing. 
What was your favorite Facebook poster and why? So many. I don't know if the folks in, you know, in, your, in your community know this, but um, like Facebook has a tradition of not just having like one value. When you start in your bootcamp class, one of the first things you do is to create a poster that you believe mm. represents what Facebook is all about. So like, you know, it's plastered everywhere. But one that I really admire uh, and liked, I saw about midway through my um, tenure at Facebook, uh, which is, it came from the ads organization. I think you were in the ads organization. I was in ads for a while, yeah. yeah. It was from, from Boz, an amazing leader, mm. uh, Be Plain Spoken. And mm. actually, I think more than all of the other ones, it represents some of the tension that comes with like operating at a very large company and building software and services for billions of people. Is that like really, really easy to get lost in the technical or like the product or the business or the marketing of the thing, yeah. but then forget about what it actually means for the people you serve. And so be plain spoken. I think I remember Boz and many others bringing that up clearly because it was like, like articulate things the way that people who are going to use the software or use your services yeah. would understand it and use that as a mechanism for building the right thing or to make the right decisions. And so I found, found that to be very, very powerful. Um, and still to this day, I find that to be one of the, the, the best learnings I had from Meta. That is a good one, and it's one that we've never talked about before, actually. You're making me think we should almost do an episode just on Boz, and we can't get him on, I doubt, but, you know. Maybe. Um, he, yeah. We'll try. We'll build up to that, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, he was definitely one of the most impressive leaders. I, I, just one example was I love, I remember my first review with Boz, and he had these rules before that, you mm-hmm. know, about not piling on. It was like the five Ps yep, or something, yep. if you remember that. Yep. And at first, I remember thinking it was terrifying because it was quite strict doctrine of, like, your slides will be no more than uh, one per two minutes or yep. something like that. You will number all the slides. Uh, you will limit the number of people in the room. I remember and it that. Made, yep. made me a little bit scared. I was like, why is this like so set up this way? But it turned out to be brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really about making sure, because what happens in a review, you're on slide two, everybody in the room speaking up. That's right. You know, wait till I get to slide four. His whole goal was let the people talk, get through it. And then we'll do the questions at the end. And so I need to know how you're making progress through your slide. Just all of this attention to detail and thought on how to run an excellent review. And it was the, the best I've ever... That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think the, the deeper insight is like, uh, it's really easy to get lost and focus on the wrong thing. Mm. And so creating the guardrails that prevent you from doing that, I think is like a really important management. Management is like, you know, tool. the big M tool. Yeah. Um, but I think it's like a... To your point of culture, in culture, if you can do that without having to write the rules down, boy, that's magic. So inspiration there for another whole episode on his rules of a review. Um, And then the other thing I wanted to ask you was, so aside the posters, there are also these famous notes. Um, You know, Rabkin did one about awkward meetings. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, 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 uh, you know, uh, comes from the heart, that one, I think. (laughs) Uh, You know, Ami Vora did a few really famous ones, I think. Um, Was she the author of Make the Other Mistake, I think? I think that was uh, Rapkin. Was that Rapkin as well? Um, The one about sort of career progression and getting uncomfortable on that, like, step function. Um, Have you got a particular favorite? I do. Give away your Legos is is the one. I think by the time maybe you and I... You know, we're, we're at Meta, maybe that was a little bit more ancient history, but that I think originated when Facebook was scaling really, really fast mm. and things were so chaotic that people were having a very hard time dealing with the number of changes. And one of the, the most profound changes you can have is 
when you've settled in, you have a grasp of something, a domain. If you're an engineer, you have code, mm-hmm. <laughs> like your code. Mm-hmm. If you're um, a PM, you have like your, your product. Uh, if you're a GM, you have like your business. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that happens in like very fast moving or fast changing environments is that like you naturally end up in a place where the change uh, that is happening all around you will shift the ground underneath your feet. Yep. So in reaction to that, the very human reaction is to be like, you know, I want to hold on to it. Yeah. Because um, this is me. My identity is built off the scope that I have. Yeah. Yeah. Or the code that I own. Or the product that I built. Uh, but the truth is, in the uh, rapid scaling startup or a rapid scaling company or a rapid growing company, uh, you know, it's it's actually more important for you to think about what does it mean for the company as a whole and the construct of the company as a whole. And so this note was about actually one of the best things you can do is to give away your Legos, hmm. share your toys, actually give away your toys because you don't know what you'll be asked to go do instead. And if you just keep hoarding, you will only be the, the, you know, the Lego car builder. And that's fine, but maybe the company needs something that's more than that. Maybe it needs to build a rocket ship. Yeah. Well, how can you do that? Well, you got to get new Legos, you got to give some away, you got to like share some people's, you know, motivations and energy yep. that you maybe didn't think. Um, one of the things that I think that's like remarkable about that philosophy is that it works, even though I mentioned this in terms of like rapid scale and rapid growth, it works for like aged companies too. Interesting. Okay. Right? Because if you think about philosophically shifting talent, shifting resources, um, it just makes the company stronger. Uh, and more adaptable. Um, so that one I thought to be like a you know, fabulous like cultural note. I love not only the, I think one of the things Facebook did really well is, is it didn't just have like good cultural ideals, it found really nice ways of presenting them, like give away your yeah. Legos, it's yeah. so like evocative, it's isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And the truth is you grow more out of it. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the, this, uh, having mentioned that, one of the smartest pieces of advice that I ever got at Microsoft was when Reorg, uh, you know, there was like this massive Reorg, and I, and I of course, um, quote unquote, lost a bunch of stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the Reorg. Uh, and, you know, I was like moping a little bit. <laughs> you know, you mope. Uh, Moping is allowed in your career. Um, and a very, you know, uh, this, this leader that I worked for for many years, um, his name is Perry Clark. He, he gave me this great advice. He was like, hey, you know how there's people who just gather things and they like hold it all together? Um, you know what doesn't happen with them? And I was like, what? It's like people tend to not give them new stuff to work on. I was like, hmm. why? Because they're just full. And so it's like, the trade-off is you hold on to this stuff so much and you like admire this stuff, you'll probably miss out on an opportunity for net new things that happen, in, and especially in the tech industry. Yeah, yeah. And so like you often will find yourself in, in, a, in a bind where like, okay, well, I just keep working on the thing I know, but if I want to do new interesting things, I got to let go. Got it. Yeah. And that changed my perspective. And honestly, it unlocked a lot of personal uh, growth because, uh, boy... Uh, keeping yourself energized is actually one of the most you know, important things in your career. And so like give away your Legos, get new projects, go find and a learn, new toy. Yeah, yeah, find a new toy. Yeah. Boy, it just like, it's so great. Um, so that I, I recommend that one to uh, everybody, no matter where I go. Okay, I like it. Another one that's not come up today. So, so thank yeah. you, that's great. There's, there's one little thing I want to pick on though. Like one, one observation I think I've seen, when I joined Facebook was uh, early 2016, uh, I think a year or two before you, um, 
and, and there was still there was this you know still the sense of it being this just this amazing culture, um, a very special place. I, I think it was when we left, but there was a sense that this can't last forever. And people talked about it, and it was kind of openly talked about that. Yeah, we, we you know we're it's a question of how long we can stay off getting bigger and slower and and more infighting and or more political is a word that's right. often yep, used, yep. right? Yeah. And you know one one theory of this is that. Being able to have that culture is mostly a function of size and growth. Like if you're small or you're still growing, then people are more uh, optimized towards just doing great work because it'll be rewarded with headcount, say, or, or scope, which is something everyone seeks. Whereas once you kind of get to the point where a company's so big, people are like, we can't grow anymore. We can't just keep adding headcount, which happened actually during my time at Facebook. I think it was the first time they got to that point. And then there seems to be like a change in people's behavior in the organization. They become a little bit more elbows out, a little bit more fighty. Things get a little bit more political because they're negotiating, fighting for resources. It's funny, actually, there was a, a brilliant podcast by Brian Chesky and, uh, on Lenny Richoutsky, oh, right, I think his right, name right, is. Yeah. He actually talks a little bit about yep. things getting yep. political. Um, do you think that's, that's true? And does that make it hard for people to saying don't give away your Legos in a yeah. time of like growth and easy yeah. head count and so on is very easy because it's all right, I'll just go and kill a yeah. job over here. We're at a time where everyone's elbows out. Do you think that can still hold true? Yeah, I think, I think it's true. I mean, I think uh, the, what you describe is a natural phenomena in every company, um, whether it's a small startup or in a small startup, you might experience it in like an individual level. Right. Uh, in a large organization or a large company, you might experience it across like entire divisions. Um, and it's actually, it's actually a sign of some amount of health of the business. Hmm. It's like, let me, let me like flip it around for you. Like imagine a world where you're in a company and there's no existential crisis daily, right? Where there's like a magic money printing machine. Okay. These are good times, right? In good times, what do people do? They just like, you know, they, they, stay in their house, they mow the lawn, they watch like, you know, watch the orchard grow. They're not out there uh, looking for new lands because like they have everything they need. And, you know, naturally what happens in that, in that environment is that people tend to maximize for internal growth because like the company construct is just like, you know, it's just healthy and it's growing on its own. Um, And so like, if you want to uh, if you want to establish yourself or your career, people tend to equate um, ladders, you know, progression, yeah, sure. titles, um, the number of people they have working for them yeah. as like the ways to measure themselves because the larger construct is not in an existential crisis. Right. Now, oftentimes people say, okay, well, this will never happen in a startup because every day <laughs> is a, you know, is a new and you know, rewarding day of struggle against the, yep. the, the open seas. But the truth is people just have a slightly different way of equating what it means for them to progress in the world. Yeah. Progressive, progression for them is just like, let's survive the night. Yeah. Let's survive next month. Yeah. Let's get to like, you know, a million ARR. Let's go to 10 million ARR. Yeah. It's just a slightly different version of progression. And so I actually think in, in, um, after living many different versions of, uh, this type of life, what I do is like, I try and look for like the best in people in these times, which is look like they're, <laughs> they're trying to strive, mm. but their version of striving is equated to a place where, um, maybe you don't have that urgent need to just focus on the basics and so yeah. now they can extend beyond. And I think sometimes what really helps in those places is for, 
leadership teams or founding teams to just get back to like, what does it actually mean to be in service of something greater? Um, and like reconnect back to a mission. Uh, now there are going to be people you will find who will not do that. Yeah. And then you know that this is actually a bum thing and right. you got to work hard to like, just help those people find the opportunities elsewhere. Uh, but it is actually like, and ironically, it's like the sign of a, a healthy company when people can focus on other things and just like surviving. Yeah, true. Interesting. The scarcity, like almost this sense of scarcity driving, you know, driving That's right. urgency. That's right. It's true in startups. I think even we were guilty of it. You know, we, we raised our first money um, early in 21. People were just sending out term sheets at yep. that point. Like it was around it very easy. Yep. And you, you see this, all this runway, yep. you know, you're like, it's fine. You know, we're totally. going to chip away. We didn't ship quick enough. We could have shipped much faster. As it got towards that runway getting closer and closer, the urgency in the company went up. So we totally. just, you know, we just raised now. We were talking about it. Um, Congrats. Like, my, yeah. thank you. Thank yeah. you. But my, the goal is now is like, okay, how do we, how do we keep that like sense of fear yeah. in everybody's eyes totally. that this is, because we just do better work. Yep. Honestly, we just yeah. do, we That's just totally do better exactly work. Right. I mean, uh, so I think all of the places I've worked have the founders or the, the, you know, the founding team or the leadership team have tried to keep that energy to prevent this. Yeah. I think. Uh, for good or bad, Microsoft gets a lot of this bad rap, but it's actually like a very common phenomena. It, mm. Like Microsoft wouldn't be in a position mm. to have this problem if it wasn't one of the best businesses ever created in the history of humankind, mm. right? Mm. Um, IBM wouldn't have these problems if it wasn't one of those like innovators right. and what does it mean to have right. like a computing device that powers your entire business. Um, Meta wouldn't have this if it's, if it's business of like advertising could just basically keep everybody focused on just building features. And there's mm. like a little crew on the side, just printing money. So I think a lot of these teams, like a lot of the really great leaders, uh, Bill, um, you know, Satya, even Bomber in his own way, definitely Mark Zuckerberg, um, Patrick Collison, you know, like Stripe has this, has this Patrick and John calls, they have this like very pithy statement that says we haven't won yet which is a very polite Irish way of saying, get back to work. This is 1% um, done? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Similar thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 this is 1% uh, done or whatever, yeah, yeah. right? That's from Meta. Um, Microsoft, I think, went through, uh, a, Microsoft is a, is a classic company where you can learn so many lessons from because it has experienced like almost every yeah. facet of the tech industry. I think Microsoft really uh, embraced like internal competition to create. Yes because there really wasn't anything outside the company. Right. So imagine being a company that is so well off that you have to go <laughs> to internal competition in order to get people to be at their best. An unfortunate side effect of that is you get a bunch of other, you know, cultural Some artifacts. negative cultural yeah, side effects, but, but it's a good trade-off. But some Maybe it's a good trade-off. I mean, like there was two versions of databases. I worked on one and, you know, many of my current coworkers at Stripe worked on the other one and we laugh about this, it. This was a famous Gates thing, right? He'd sort of set two teams up exactly. and kind of not, meant, not tell them they're going head-to-head, -head, but they're going head-to-head -head and exactly. they both know it. And, yeah, um, exactly. You have to be careful. I mean, that's, that's I think, one of the, the subtle lessons that I'm sure that you're, you're pulling out here in terms of culture. Whatever you decide to do, you know, to, to like tweak the culture or to establish a culture, will have an anti-pattern. Side effects, with... like medicine, right? Exactly. Like if there's a cultural pill, there's going to be some side effects. Absolutely. Choose your side effects carefully. Absolutely. Um, I think one of my favorite talks about this is uh, Zuck on Masters of Scale. He's not necessarily talking about culture, but he's talking about every decision you make as an organization, like move fast and break things. Have yep. like obvious trade-offs. So like Great. Things broke Great occasionally, but it's just like the ultimate, yeah. Uh, he actually came up with a few in that podcast. It's great. Okay, let's talk about Brian Chesky again, actually. So 
uh, you're the first person on on this show. I mean, uh, Josh Williams, almost product manager. I don't know what he is. A data scientist, engineer. It's great to be a unicorn. Yeah, yeah. he is yeah. Uh, pretty special. Um, a VJ's more engineering background. Yep. Rajiv's more engineering background. You're more PM background. Mm-hmm. So let's do some PM stuff. Yep. And you know, fairly topical. Uh, we'll do the open AI thing later. But uh, was Brian Chesky's recent. Um, so the story of this went. I think he was it at a TechCrunch event or something. I think it was, at, uh, I think it was a. I think it was like Figma, which is like a very designy, Figma. That's it. Yeah, designy you know event. I think. And he made yeah. some statement that the crowd, the crowd of designers, perceived as him saying, "We're getting rid of the product management yeah. function." Turns out that's not what he was saying. Yeah. I mean, have you heard the story? Have you heard the his yeah. take on this? I'm really curious on your take as a PM about the. Can you help describe that you think the changes you think he's making there and whether it makes sense in your view? Yeah, I well, I think a lot of this stuff, um, the nuance is lost in the broad internet. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of cookie cutter advice or, you know, entire factories of, of wisdom that gets taken out of context. Sure. Um, that built out of taken out of context things. I think uh, if you kind of zoom in a little bit on, on Brian, you zoom in on Airbnb, uh, yeah, their business and their like product is is quite different than your classic like software thing. Sure. Um, as much as it's a technology company, it's actually like a hospitality business. Yeah. And it's a hospitality business that's built on anybody being able to be a part of the platform that they've created. And so like curating this thing to have the best possible experience when you don't really create like own the random nodes. Uh, that add to the network. Um, it's kind of it's actually more f- similar to the the meta of the world than a hotel, right? Right. Um, right. And so like meta, as much as it's, it it meta and Twitter and everybody else who who is a broad news distribution network, but they don't actually write any of the articles. But yet everybody goes there for the news, and of course all the consequences that come as a part of that hmm. versus being the New York Times, which is like a highly curated, highly editorialized view of the world. Yeah. You know, these are like two radically different things, but they're kind of the same product. Yeah. Um, I think like, so if you look at the competition for, for or the market for what Airbnb is doing, it's giving everybody the chance to be participating in like the hospitality business. Yeah. Now, hotels increasingly have just fought it by just being curated experiences. And increasingly, you're, you're you know, especially in the last two years post-pandemic, you've heard this like narrative that like Airbnb is like taking and destroying neighborhoods. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The economic value of Airbnb is not clear. Like, why should cities support Airbnbs? Mm-hmm. It's clear value to the host, but even the hosts are not complaining. Oh, the algorithm is not rewarding us with more visits. Mm-hmm, Sounds mm-hmm. very familiar. Mm-hmm. To Meta, <laughs> it does, right? yeah. Um, and hotels, meanwhile, are just like, well, we're just going to keep on being better at hospitality. So in, increasingly, the more Airbnb got stronger, hotels responded by just doing the thing that they were supposed to be doing anyway, which is like just improving the quality. Yeah. And of yeah. course, like it's really hard to compete with um, a bunch of hotels that just hospitality is like their DNA. Right, right. And so right. in that context, you look at it and you're like, okay, so if I hire a bunch of quote unquote product managers that just think their job is to work on the app, like you are fooling yourself. Even if you like, if you hire designers and you think the job is to just work on the design of the app, well, you're fooling yourself. Um, and I know they did like a refresh of the app and everything else, but the sure. real thing is somehow to get these amazing experiences to pop out of nowhere yeah. on this like platform with notes of their own control. Huh. Now, how do you do that? Is that a product management job? Well, it's kind of like a marketing job too. 
right? Sometimes right. you have to represent a curated experience when none exists, or at least like curtail these merchants or what do you want to call them? Yeah. Not merchants, uh, hosters, hosts? Uh, hosts, hosts. Hosts and guests, I think, hosts is the two guests. sides, yeah. You have to get these hosts to a place where they can, on your behalf, Airbnb's behalf, hmm. be competitive with the hotels of the world. Now, like that is a very radically different shaped role. Yeah. Uh, than what I would classically describe as product management. Right. And so like, you know, I think it's like perfect for Brian Chesky to question, well, why should you have a traditional structure where you have design, you have like PM, you have PMM, when really a lot of the work here is to turn things upside down in a very competitive marketplace where your competition are business owners who really understand what it's like to be a hotelier or a hospitality business. Yeah. You know I mean? Like if I had the choice of Airbnb in India, or the Taj Hotels. I pick the Taj Hotels every day of the week. Interesting. And I'll tell you why. Because the Taj Hotels have a reputation, which is like so ingrained that says like hospitality is the number one thing you go there for. Right. Like it is really is a, like it's beyond service. Now, no Airbnb, no matter what you could put on your Airbnb app is going to compete with that. And so how do you like uplift and compete in that zone? Yeah, yeah. Is that a product management tra- traditional, you know, like a product manager just comes in and writes a spec or does something for the app. Boy, that's not going to result in the outcome that you want. Product marketing in general is more market oriented. Yeah. And so if like the market is really the product that you're supposed to control and, and, and curate, yeah. you know, might as well get your PMs closer to the market. So you really think it's just about bringing those functions, I mean, that's kind of what you described, right? Bringing those functions close together. That's what he said afterwards. You don't see this then, based on what you've just said, it sounds like you don't see this being something that everyone's going to copy. You oh, don't see like uh, Stripe, for example, no, in a rush, no. merging the two functions into one. No, absolutely not. I, I think so much of, of um, uh, you know, it's like the, you're the, the, the expert here, but like you have so many problems as a business, as a founder, as a startup to take on. Yeah. Um, and Airbnb is like beyond a startup now. Um, they're, you know, tweaking every single thing in your company and innovating on every single axis is like a, a mistake. You have yeah. to like pick and choose. Yeah. The majority of the things you should just copy. Yeah. And so if I think about that and I'm like, okay, well, you look at every tech company out there, like really they're going to sit back and do the hard thinking like Brian did on like, what's my market? What's yeah. my thing? Yeah. What's my actual product? How do I force this change in my company? No, <laughs> no they're just going to copy what does it mean to have like, the 90% case of great PMs. Yeah. And so I think PMs are fine yeah. for a long time. Uh, <laughs> it's not an issue. Uh, but it's like the situation at Airbnb is very, very unique. It is, it is an interesting business. I sometimes think for us, if we, you know, I don't know um, how soon we'd be hiring product managers, but we're so focused on developer experience. So we use that word experience, but mm-hmm. I think it's very different to Airbnb, yep. right? Just yep. the whole setup that I often think we want folks with a very strong design mentality, like product design, almost like industrial design yeah. kind of skills in that world. Yeah. Um, so to, I don't see a world where a future Zooplo is merging the marketing and the, totally. the PM function. Actually, probably design totally. and PM would be closer together. Totally. Um, it's hard though, because then you just created this like unicorn of, it's hard enough finding PMs, right? And yeah, marketing people. it is tricky. I mean, it's tricky. I think one of the, so Microsoft, again, speaking of Microsoft, Microsoft kind of like invented the PM discipline. Right. And it came out of like sheer necessity. Yeah. Uh, and again, in the context of Microsoft, where again, you had this like amazing unthrottled opportunity in business, so strong, it had mm. uh, uh, incredible stickiness. 
and you could argue that you know there's like an incredible channel and business acumen from my, from Bill Gates on how to get that done. Yeah. You know, Wintel duopoly, all that stuff. Yep. In that context, the most important thing was to to build the next feature to make sure the trains run on time because you had like physical software being sent to like print mm-hmm. on discs mm-hmm. that then got manufactured wow. or like sent out for manufacturing. It was like kind of like a physical good system. And so if you had a delay. Boy, you like you destroyed like years of revenue. Yeah, yeah. Even in like a month delay. And so at Microsoft, even when I joined there, like the most important thing was to ship on time, and right. you would do unnatural, ungodly things. Yeah. Microsoft had war rooms. What were war rooms for? It was like you'd be curtailing the the bugs with the number of fixes to get to a point of zero bug bounce. You remember those like old yeah, terms? Yeah, yeah, ZBB. ZBB. Yeah. Uh, until you got to a point where you're like confident enough to like stamp the disk. And then immediately as you stamp the disk, you start working on the service packs. Wow. And so like in that world, it's not sufficient to just have engineers just be great product engineers. Yeah. You need to like run... A tight program. A tight program. Yeah. So you have program management. Yeah, yeah. And yep. actually, if you were to ask the question, which is like, how do you make the tra- trains run on time? You could say, well... There's somebody in there called the release managers banging on the table, yeah, which they ends. did have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But more importantly, how do you get as crisp of a requirements thing figured out so that you only build the right thing yeah. and you don't like have feature creep? Yeah. Right? Like feature creep was a, a yeah. word that uh, has been in taxonomy invented at yeah. Microsoft. Yeah. So like you go upstream as much as possible. So program management went as close to the customer yeah. to get to definition, which allowed development under constraint windows and milestones just a much more else. waterfall process waterfall honestly is what process. you're kind of describing right that's Which right i've kind of forgotten about it i mean i joined microsoft as just before the launch of azure you're right um bpos was just getting started which yeah, yeah, was your yep. first office subscription yep. thing right yep very early so I, I didn't see it as much and i was over in the field in the uk at that yep. point but you, and you did see hints of that that was one of the biggest shifts going to facebook which grew up its yep. DNA was in this world where live bits are cheap, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, yep. there used to be a lot of talk about software architecture and there'd be arguments about is architecture the right yep. paradigm? It's clearly not today because yep. you can like literally take out the third floor and put something else in, you know, which... Totally. But you couldn't if you were printing discs and like literally exactly. shipping them around the world. That's I mean, why it mattered. It was like, it's like, it like industrial, uh, it's like building hardware yep. almost really. Yep. Um, I mean, this is one of the, the reasons why... There's uh, a lot of people love to throw, you know, I think they threw a lot of stones at Microsoft during, you know, the, the years where like the iPhone was exploding sure. and all this stuff was going on. Yep. But I think like clearly Microsoft being, you know, I think the second most valuable company in the world right yep. after Apple, you know, shows you that something happened there or a set of things happened there that made it like so resilient and foundationally strong. Yep. The converse argument to like the, the type of engineering that you're describing there is like, Imagine the amount of like hardcore engineers um, and PMs and like architects and field people, sellers. Like if you could imagine what a customer needed three years before they needed it, that is like a superpower that most companies in the world B2B don't have. And they would like kill to have that power. And so whenever, especially like a company like Stripe, which is learning to like go towards enterprise, you know, it's like Microsoft is the ideal company to, to like, to, to mimic, to learn from. Yeah. Because imagine doing work for three years when you've already been paid for it yeah. by your customer. Yeah. That's what Microsoft's genius yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. And architects to like PM to everybody else is like so strong there. Yeah. Yeah. And the account team just as, you know, another super Brilliant go to market. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Okay, and uh, all hail King Satcher, you know, he's just like king of the world right now, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay, let's let's jump ahead a little bit. So, Rajiv, um, when he was on here last, he, yeah. he recommended you as a guest, and he said something very specific. He said, you can motivate teams to do the impossible. So, that's a very important sort of cultural mm-hmm. leadership thing. So, tell us more. Like, how, what does that look like, and, and what are some of the tools and techniques you use to do that? Uh, first of all, very generous uh, for my good friend, Rajiv. Um, he and I worked on Office 365 together. Right. That's, that's where we spent a lot of time. We worked at Meta together uh, on Marketplace. Uh, I think the... Look, I, I think like one thing I've learned over time is you know, n- nothing is really as difficult as it seems. And the job of a, of a leader, whether you're like an IC leader or, you know, or you're a people leader of a large team, yep. I think like the fundamental job is to help people recognize that where they are now is not what they could be. Mm. Um, and to close that distance. Um, for me in particular, uh, I, just, I just always try and remind myself to work in that way. You know, so mm. for example, if I go around and say, oh gosh, this, this is just too hard. Mm. Uh, for a while, like, I'm, like I can't say it. I, right. I just can't yeah. do it. No. Uh, it's actually really important to like model the type of behavior you want everybody else to, and like to live it. Um, and so if it means, um, you know, like rolling up your sleeves and doing the math to figure out whether something is actually um, the right thing to go do yeah. instead of just delegating it, uh, you should do that because right. it means like you're you're actually doing the hard work required to build the mm. conviction that something is possible. I think one of the 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 very often related dangerous management habits is to be like, okay, well, just set dangerously bold goals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I have found that almost naturally, like that works for a limit, and then after that, it starts collapsing under its own weight. Hmm. Uh, I think the better way of to do it is to get people to realize that they're capable of more. Uh, and there are many ways to do that, but the number one way that I like to do it is to just live the, the personal philosophy myself so that people can see that I'm just not just demanding them to like come up to work and just do things out of bravado or like because you know, I'm, a, um, I'm an exec and I get to tell people what to do. Right. Um, I think that actually makes the biggest difference for me. So, you know, I remember in the data center days, which is when, you know, Rajiv and I worked together, uh, you know, I, asking people to carry a pager in a company that was used to printing <laughs> discs yeah. um, was a really big shift yeah. culturally. And it's painful. Like, how do you get people to be on call when they don't have no idea what on call even means? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it turns out like, you know, I was like, I was incident manager for like three years in a row every yeah. weekend. Wow. I never, I never had like, and then Rajiv joined and, you know, Rajiv was helpfully incident manager. But for the longest time, it was three or four of us that was taking calls from pagers, uh, sorry, the, you know, picking up the, the pager yeah. call yeah. from the service breaking down. And technically I'm a PM, but like being able to log in the service and like reboot a bunch of servers or restart services, you know, like I took the pain. It was painful. Um, but getting people to imagine a world where they could become a service company rather than a software company, um, you know, requires you to, <laughs> to do the work. It's interesting. I think whenever I come across a big statement like this, like motivating teams to do the impossible, you know, sounds this big lofty, mm-hmm. should be in a neon sign, right? 
it, the answers always boil down to these really simple things. Like, you know, just get in there and roll your sleeves up and do the work with people and yeah. like, be part of it. And, it's true. you know, lead by, by doing. Uh, the cheesy meme I'm reminded of is the one with the, uh, a leader and a boss. Yeah. And the leader's in front walking with oh, the yeah, troops, yeah, right? Yeah. And the, yeah, the, like the boss is the guy sat in a chair being dragged by the people. I mean, I'm sure that's not what you want me to say, but it really make, what you're saying makes me think of that. That's uh, exactly right. And, it, and the thing is, uh, I think like, uh, look, like, the increase, I have tried and made a bunch of mistakes where you just like demand so much. Yeah. And like demanding culture is like a thing in the tech industry. And there's a lot of like memes mm. around it. There's like grind culture. There's a lot of like what I would call like very toxic memes in the tech industry. Whereas yep. if you actually like pour back to like the folks who are, who have, you know, built our industry and a lot of them aren't on Twitter, let's say, <laughs> um, or threads now threads is awesome. Threads. My, my meta friends, I, I love threads. Um, you know, a lot of those folks, you know, they really built people as much as they built products. Mm. And they built organizations with resilience. They built the next batch of leaders that came after them. Mm. And I remember them more than anybody else because they were the ones who like, enabled like you and I to do what we're doing. And so in some ways, as, a, as like a, a person who has reasonable influence over a large portion of people's daily lives, I feel like it's my responsibility to not let them down. Yeah. And, um, and it's actually like a really serious responsibility. You know, I learned this from Deb Liu, which she actually named it for me, yeah. uh, which was this um, idea of servant leadership. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, fantastic. Um, and it really puts you in a different mind frame. It's like, it's easy to shoot off a note in the middle of the night being like, can you come tomorrow morning and present this to me? It's a different thing to be like, okay, first of all, I'm not going to do that in the middle of the night. Yep. Because I'm just like ruining somebody's night. Yep. Um, I'm going to wait. I'm going to see if like my own mind changes. Right. Um, and it often does. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll just like call them up and brainstorm with them rather than and involve them in the process instead of demanding things of them. And it turns out more often than not, like, gosh, they're like at the verge of the same realization that I might have because I have a broader purview. Yeah. And then it's just like a simple conversation to nudge somebody and then they feel empowered. There's so much more enlisted in the process. Enlisted, not yeah. just enlisted, like you, you learn yeah. because you yeah. have more information um, than just having a large purview. And so I feel like that has been the most dramatic change for me personally hmm. in my career. That is awesome, actually. A lot for me to think about there. I think there's, you're gonna have to do a follow-up chat on this, I think, at some point. Um, so... The next question I want to ask, uh, actually, it was a little bit hinted at in the Brian Chesky interview um, with Lenny. I feel I'm seeing this change uh, during ZERP, our zero interest rate phenomenon, and, you know, infinite engineers, yeah. and before Musk started firing all of Twitter, and folks were like, oh, interesting, I think we can run with much fewer people. Engineers were so in demand, or, or tech staff in general, like PMs as well, were so in demand. There seemed to be a bit of a swing toward they were running the asylum a little bit more than the managers. And in that world, there was certainly a lot of excitement around the, the idea of bottoms up yeah. engineering. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was a big thing when I arrived at Facebook. And it was real, actually. Like, I right. came from Fa uh, Microsoft, or I've said this before, at Microsoft, I felt like when I was there, there was a lot more scaffolding. You know, there was kind of like a VP, had a mm -hmm. vision, and you, you were sort of executing on some part of it. 
I landed at Facebook on the Facebook analytics team. It was almost, hey, so you've got these like 20 or so people. What, yeah. what, what are you doing with them? Like impress us now so you get to keep them. I exactly. Like, I have to like come up with things. Like, yeah. I'm not just like choosing the shape of the buttons and so yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so that was a very, a very bottoms up culture in my experience. I'm feeling like there's a bit of a shift away from that in the industry at the moment. And get, things are getting a little bit more top down. You know, Rajiv talked about a mix in his answer. Vijay also talked about, you know, vision being set top down. Brian talks about him being in the details. He's not going to hire a CPO. Right. He, he originally, you know, he was getting complaints about uh, when he got involved, things went slower. Right. And in hindsight, he feels that wasn't the case. Yeah. Like it may have felt like it, but, but really just on analysis running both ways, he's yep. getting more in the details. What's your take on what's going on? Are we, are we, is, is the pendulum swinging back? Are we making a correction towards the right place? The questions are like, the answers you're going to get to this question is going to be very, very biased by like where people sit in the hierarchy right uh like it'd be insane if vijay or rajiv gave you an answer that was bottoms up because (laughs) you know frankly like they're never going to be able to pull that off yeah um, to get to like the again the larger purview like they're you know like vijay and rajiv see investors yeah investors don't talk to ics on the team right and there's probably some like you know same with you it's like you you're interfacing with your board yeah, uh, a regular person on your team, no matter how capable they are, aren't going to have that like visibility or insight into like different mechanics of a complex business. And so, you'll you'll get first of all, you're just going to get different answers mm. to this. I think like one thing that um, I've thought about this a little bit over time. There's like two things I would say, two observations. One is um, the really savvy people uh, match like the company culture towards the way that the incentives of a company naturally get people to do the right thing. And so here's an example. At Meta, the uh, super empowered engineer who can just write a line of code and improve something works really well for the business construct and the value exchange that Facebook family of apps have Mm. with their users, with their consumers, and also advertisers and stuff. Perfect example is this. Um, Because the relationship between uh, monetization and uh, engagement is so tightly coupled that nobody has to really think about it, Mm. the vast majority of the workforce at Meta can be unthrottled to just increase engagement. Mm. Okay? And like the incentives are very aligned because, like, basically the ads group. And the finance team and the business owners can be like, great, let's have everybody just go increase engagement. Okay. There's a magic thing, you know, uh, the ads engine yeah, yeah. that will take that engagement. And of course, the ads team will optimize it some more and create yeah. new formats and stuff and figure out tooling for advertisers. But holy cow, like you don't have to have the majority of the people think about all these different ways of making money. And in that world, the best thing you can possibly do is just get people randomly writing code that well-tested, A-B-tested, whatever, build intuition on products, and just go nuts. An engagement experiment farm, basically. And actually, that's why Meta is such a data-driven company, because in that really unthrottled, brilliant world of every empowered person, (laughs) you need to give them something to constrain like dangerous things from happening. And guess what that is? That's data. Mm. And so like, you get two things from Meta which are very, very potent. You get people who have really strong product intuition around engagement, And you have really strong ability for people to guardrail themselves with data. And that, in that world, 
the bottoms up stuff works brilliantly until disaster happens. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, guess what? The engagement thing is work not working. You right. Know, when you have zero to one things, zero to one is very hard at a company like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't very. actually, because that formula doesn't work anymore. No. Yeah. Right. And so zero to one is like, you know, we were at Meta and people yeah. would say, uh, it's better to buy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's hard to invent from scratch in yeah. that world. Um, you take a company like Microsoft, and actually Microsoft is in many ways very, very top down um, because the business artifact and the commitments we have with enterprise customers are like golden contracts. Right. Right. And you can't have randomness in the universe. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? like, and the marketing machinery and the all the go to market actually determines how the company's incentive should be aligned. Huh. And so you seem to have much more of like, okay, well, Teams is now going to add voice. It's not like somebody says, hey, let's add voice. Right. Why? Because the market, there's a gap. There's a monetization scheme around it. Um, there's a competitive <laughs> like lag, let's call it. Yeah. Um, and that's like much more prescriptive. Um, and so I think like that is a really, I think that's kind of like the bigger insight on some of these things. Again, like the Airbnb example, it's like, look, I'm not sure if everybody's clued in Airbnb what the business they're in, but Brian certainly knows. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think being a little bit more top down on what that means to compete in that really diverse market uh, isn't a broadcast job like meta where it's like just yeah. focus on engagement right drive this one thing it's just never that it's really that simple actually it's it really very is. rarely that simple it's very yeah. nuanced right what are you it the, is the very nuanced on? and so like i think meta is like a very far example of it mm. um, but if you think about like reality labs it doesn't quite work in that way because mm. it's like how are you going to get a random engineer to build a hardware device that gets stapled onto your you know what i mean like it just so, sorry reality labs is the vr, the VR metaverse the, stuff that's yep. right okay. thanks yep. for correction the yep. uh the ar vr like yep. this is hardware commitments you have to make for like a five-year journey yeah, yeah, just huge. to get the optics to the right place yeah boy that's like a like you're gonna get a hardware leader from apple let's yeah. call it yeah. who knows how to manage you know distribution centers and yeah. production facilities you're gonna get an optics expert yeah and they're gonna like grind this problem down it's not a grassroots thing. No. And by the way, the chutzpah required to like make a commitment like that is not an organic thing that comes from the below. Like nobody stands up and says, hey, Mark, just give me a billion. We are going to spend it building software and yeah. hardware that is going to be delivered in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Like it's clearly a thing that comes top down. Yeah. Wish I'd had this conversation with you when I was working on Zero to One at Facebook. <laughs> um, okay, that's what a great answer. I love it. So talking about culture... You know, I asked Rajiv this. When you when you, you you're at Stripe now, actually, we didn't overlap. We missed each other. Um, Stripe has a culture. Yeah, uh, it's quite different to Facebook, mm-hmm. in my take. Uh, yep. Maybe maybe we'll have time to talk about that. What are the? But then when you come as a leader, though, you're a business lead, probably a pretty decent sized organization. What are the cultural constants that you're always going to get if you hire Vivek Sharma? What 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 comes as a non negotiable part of that package? Yeah, for yeah, that's a. Uh, this helpful because I just finished my year um, okay, yeah. at uh, Stripe. For me, like no matter where I go, I really, I really focus on a couple of things, which is you have to figure out what's the who do you serve, and what are the steps to make sure that you are doing a better than expected job mm. for them. And so at Stripe, for example, you know it's like the mission of the company is to raise the GDP of the internet. Right. My particular group focuses on inside of companies. Like, you know, you're running a company now. Boy, wait till tax season. Uh, you know, um, it's going to be painful. Uh, actually, it might not be, but um, hopefully if it is painful, 
you'll come talk to us. Uh, but the reason like a lot of software exists is to get rid of like the, the, um, the problems that, you know, human beings shouldn't have to spend time on. That's like the, the original like conceit of software. Sure. Yeah. Like the idea of automation. Now, increasingly with AI and everything else, we're into a place where it's like, okay, like why should we just focus on efficiency? We should be focusing on things like growth. Mm. And so my team builds uh, software that helps company generate more revenue, very simply. But it took me a year to be able to like say that statement. Hmm. Why? Because I had to like dig through the morass of like, what does exist in the market? People have billing software, tax software. Well, what does that do? Is mm. it just like a line item in your accounting things? That's what I thought coming natively. But like, you know, you spend time with customers and you're like, no, actually what they really want to do is to get rid of all this stuff and focus on the things that makes them money. Yeah. Business models. Yep. Are you a subscriber? Are you going to sell magazines? Are you going to do digital copies? Are you going to like have contracts or invoice? I mean, like this is like the heart of the beast is to make revenue for a business. Like who I serve, what am I doing for them? And then it's like, okay, well, why shouldn't the mission be make every company make 50% more revenue mm -hmm. after using our software? It's a big, bold goal. That's insane. Right. But it ladders up to like that mission of the company. Yeah. Like raise it, how can you raise the, you know, the, the GDP of the internet if you can't actually make every business make more money? Yeah. Uh, and so like for me, like that journey, the reason why it's a year is because I'm bringing my whole team along to get to a point where we can stand up and say, no, actually, no. And our job isn't just to like give, sell you t billing software. Our job is to make it so that you are making 10% more money every year. Hmm. And our goal is to get to like 50% more revenue by the time you're done working with us. Hmm. And that's like, now when I talk to customers, you know, their, their eyes are like, yes. That's what I want. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> to go back to the original question, like the cultural constant you bring, it is this sort of analysis of like really understanding who, do you, who do you, serve? you serve. And by that, you don't mean as a leader. You don't mean as like the people, you mean as the customer or the, yeah. the end consumer of the that's thing right. you're shipping that's as a right. team. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who do you ultimately serve? Huh. Like, you know, who do you serve? And like, in this case, it's really easy to say, okay, well, we have accounting teams. Yeah. No, that's not it. Yeah. What is the job of a business? Yeah. The job of a business is to first survive, second, take care of their own customers, and third, thrive. Yeah. Who yeah. do we serve? We serve the business. That's maybe not like aperture-wise uh, for a traditional PM sense specific enough, but every single customer that I talk to, I can find the person very easily who's responsible for you know, the three things I talk First, survive. Yeah. Second, take care of their customers. And third, thrive. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes as a CEO, sometimes as a CFO. Um, sometimes it's just like a line engineer who just gives a lot of care. So I think this is the other part that he didn't answer before about how he gets people to do impossible things actually is like setting a good vision. That's far, what you've just described is far more, I'm far more excited about, not just your customers, I'm far more excited about it if I was yeah. to come and work for you than right. some accounting software. <laughs> so, you exactly. know, it's like, that's cool. Exactly. Uh, so I think that's another, another big one. Let's talk about Stripe culture versus the other places then. Yeah. Um, some, I, I wasn't there super long, but some observations for me, it was, it was very written, uh, heavy written culture, heavy reading. Um, that felt like it kind of came, I don't mean top down in the same way, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. Know, it came from the founder, Patrick, who, right. have you seen his reading list yeah, that he has huge. on the internet? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean I, it's so long, I, smart, I, I don't even know where to start. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's a, I would describe Stripe, I, I, I've given it some thinking. Um, Stripe, I think people mistake its superpower. Stripe, uh, and it'll answer your question on the documents a little bit. Yeah. 
Stripe is a, you know, people say it's like a technical company, it's a payments company, blah, blah, blah. No, Stripe is ultimately a very earnest company. Hmm. It's very earnest. And there's like a, the, the earnestness comes from the founders. You know, mm-hmm. an, an example of earnest is like, you know, you'll go to Patrick and you'll be like, okay, well, this is how this thing is going to come together. And he'll be like, but why is it that it's going to come together like this? Why can't we do X and Y? Now, I think the casual observer will be like, well, this is a demanding CEO or founder. No, but like if you like look in the, the Irish background, mm-hmm. it's just like earnestness. So it's like, no, but like, no, but like really tell me, like, why can't we do, why can't we do better? <laughs> and I think that that translates very much into an organization that really takes earnestness to its, um, to its end zone, which is to like describe the, the why nots and whys uh, to an extent mm. where you have to kind of like, imagine all those questions, all those whys being answered before you're ready for execution. Mm. But I think uh, increasingly, uh, I think people are learning to translate the earnestness into like, no, no, like let's earnestly solve the problem in chunks. Right. Let's iterate our way through it. Um, And so I think organizations learn very much from their founders and they misinterpret quite a bit from their founders. Uh, (laughs) You know I mean? They do. Like Bill Gates is, we talked about this. let's, Let's put teams at each other. Yeah. Why? Because competition is scarce and we got to keep ourselves up and ag- yeah. agile. But instead, what people end up doing is what? Just like one-upping each other. Yeah. yeah. Forgetting the market. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure Bill was like, ignore the market, just fight. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's like similarly to Patrick, it's just like earnestly find solutions, go beyond, um, like dig deeper. And people like, I think, translate that to, to this, you know, trying to articulate as much as they possibly can. Okay, so a lot of folks ask me about books mm-hmm. and favorite books. And I know you're a fairly well-read person. So hit me with your top three recommendations. Uh, I've got two good ones. Okay. And I think in the spirit of the discussion we're having, um, one of them uh, is actually a, I don't know which college or which um, school this person is from, but he's a doctor of philosophy. He wrote this book called The Good Life. Huh. And it's a modern... Uh, interpretation of meditations, which is Marcus Aurelius, yep. like, uh, you know, famous writings. Yep. It's a great book. Um, but the reason why I think this one is more recommended is because it, it's a lot more digestible to like the the, the modern human. That is a it's, hard book to read. It is a hard it's book good, to read. But it's hard. Yeah. yeah. So the good life. It's it's. Um, uh, I would recommend like just like the first couple of chapters. Don't have to read the whole thing. The reason why I recommend it is, I think a lot of folks. Um, especially in the tech industry where things are moving so fast and so easy to like comparison shopping. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a, it's a, it's like a, it's a thing. Yeah. If you're worried about your career, don't be worried about it. Cause like we're all living magical lives. I mean, apparently <laughs> AI is now available, I guess. <laughs> so like that really helped me kind of compartmentalize from the, the day-to-day work. You know, for example, you mentioned about the Stripe docs thing or yep. at, at Meta, I only wrote one note. Cause I just like, is I that just, right? yeah, I just, I just can't like, I just don't have a. I just don't have it in me uh, to, to kind of like follow the same path. Um, and but part of that requires you to build some like confidence that you're going to yeah. be okay. Yeah. Uh, no matter what. And I think that book is really good for the Western mind. Uh, you know, for the for the Indian community, I would recommend something else. But for the Western mind, I really like. I recommend that book. Um, for the for the Eastern mind, I like. It's really Buddhist philosophy too. Yeah. Okay. Not attachment. Yeah. Um, being a Stoic is very similar to being. I was a religious studies major earlier. Okay, okay, I wonder where that was coming from. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. No, I'm going to yeah. read this. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's really good. It's yeah. Really good. yeah. 
and I, I, do you know, actually, I think it's very impressive. I, I, I don't think folks watching will get how big a thing that is for someone. You were pretty senior at Facebook. Yeah. And writing notes was kind of the lingua franca, honestly. You, it was. You, if you didn't yeah. have a couple of hit notes that were yeah. like top tens, yeah. you were a nobody. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you were definitely not a nobody. So you kind yep. of snuck under the radar there, which I, mean, I think must have took a lot of steel, really, from you to... Yeah. To plow your career and not do that. Yeah, and same thing with, uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit of an odd thing. It's like sometimes in order to in, in order to find that inner strength, you have to do things your own way. Yeah, yeah. And you have to believe that doing it in your own way either will teach you enormous lessons, which it certainly will, or it'll see you through. Uh, see you through as in like, it'll be good for you. Uh, and probably the other thing, which is like such a common trope, you, you were kind of willing to fail, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Like, the end of work, it's like, oh, well, it's yeah. all right. I'll fail. Yeah. I'll go do something else. But, but I, I can tell you, like, it's, a, it's definitely not something that's like a, it required work. And that's yeah. why I'm recommending this book. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, but, you know, good thing I started off with a religious studies major. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> either you believe in the afterlife or you don't. Uh, <laughs> uh, second book is, uh, um, it's, this one, actually, I think I would recommend to anybody who... Um, is watching the technological changes around us and in specific is trying to think of ways to like engage your users, your customers. It's kind of an odd recommendation, but there's a book called The Dawn of Everything, A New History of Humanity. Yep. Um, it's a beautiful book. It's like a big orange cover yep. uh, by David Wengro. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I recommend that book is because it like very... Um, very simply and very beautifully dissects the common notions that like, oh, the apex of human society has, has been, you know, modern governing. Uh, where what you really realize after reading that book is like, actually like human beings self-organize all the time. Hmm. They have like tribal nature. They will like, you know, humans have been experimenting with radical forms of self-governance. Um, it sounds If it sounds familiar, it sounds like, Kind of like what happened in that weird zone in the crypto world where everybody was creating DAOs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, even the open AI thing, as wacky as it's been, uh, you know, people are like, wow, this radical structure where the governing authority has no equity and no whatever in a commercial entity. It's not that strange. If you read the mm. book, you're like, actually, like the Hittites were creating governing bodies that were hmm. more interesting than what we're doing today. And so it kind of like opens your eyes that as much as the technological changes are going on around us, people fundamentally have been doing very interesting things for a long time. And sometimes our, our job as technologists not to say, oh my God, technology is going to change everything. It's just to like adapt to the ways that people have been doing things for a long, long time. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Airbnb is another example. Which is yeah, like, yeah. Actually, people have been hosting each other in their houses for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really have. Yeah. Um, somebody added a nice commercial model over it. Yeah, now there's an internet thing doing it, but yeah. otherwise, right? yeah. yeah it so, might be happening a bit more. But yeah, yeah, happening a bit more. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think those are the two that I those was... Those are great. Yeah. I've, I've actually... I I've didn't finish The Dawn of... Uh, yeah. It's a thick book. Uh, yeah, it's a thick book. I'm terrible at finishing books. But I like the fact when you said about The Good Life, which I think is true of so many books, is you probably need to read the first few chapters. So many business books yes. are like... There are obviously some, you're like, you've got to write a 600-page book, otherwise we can't sell it. And yep. so they write the book in 100 pages, and then they just yep. elaborate yeah. at the end. So, so many great business books you don't need to finish, yeah. I don't think, actually. You get the core that's principle exactly pretty right. quickly. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the books that, um, uh, that's similar in that nature, uh, and it's just like a lightweight recommendation, but I thought it was really good, um, was like, you know, who do you want your customer to become? Uh, I think it's like, it's, um, it's not exactly the title, 
but it's a, a different variant of this like whole jobs to be done thing. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, the jobs to be done thing is like, I think overused and misunderstood yeah. quite a bit. The, the who do you want your customer to become is actually a really, really simple way of figuring out like, um, what's the right thing to go do, yeah. which is instead of imagining what problem needs to be solved, imagine like what's the transformation that you want to create. Yeah, that you want to create yeah. for the customer. Or yeah. like, and then and for social and consumer products, it becomes like the hero's journey. It's like, yeah. do you want them to be proud of their budding photography skills to allow them to post on this thing where they get kudos from their friends and family called Instagram? Um, hmm. You know, what's the, what's the, it's like a yeah, different yeah. way. It's like, yeah. what's, the, what's yeah. the, job, the job to be done would be like, you know, oh my God, they have social pressure. Yeah, but who do you want them to become is like more of a positive light, right? Which is like right. actually maybe they're amateur, maybe become pro. The title of the book that might not be accurate. You said yeah. we'll, we'll put it in the notes and exactly. we'll, we'll fix it. A good follow up. But even that is just a good question to ask, yeah. right? Like the who title is actually quite useful on its own. Yep. All right, really quick now, we'll get you yep. away. We're holding you back from your Thanksgiving weekend here. Uh, so fast fire now from Josh Williams, and I don't know what this means. Why don't you answer emails? Because. Most people expect too much from each other, and we should just be like a little bit lax in things. Um, so. <laughs> so, what does that mean in real world? Is that you will answer some emails, you never answer any? Uh, you you, I mean, you see the, it like a Twitter stream, like you're a non completionist, basically? Yeah, well, I just like, I just, uh, you know, this is one of those like modeling example things. Like, I don't want everybody to be responsive all the time. Okay. I just don't. Yeah, okay. I don't demand that of myself. And so why should I demand that of other people? Um, and so it's a very simple technique for me to just like add some lag yeah. uh, in the world. And often I don't respond because I'm just like, I'd rather talk to you about it. And so come talk to me. Yeah. Uh, but I find that a lot of async and like slacky communications are very like self-destructive. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's someone that was a guy called Adin Gajar. I don't know if you met him. He works oh, at yeah, Facebook. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know he's great. Yeah. Um, he, what did he call it? He, he, he talked about like um, Messenger is what we used internally or work chat, I think yep. it became. And email being non-completionist, like Twitter. I just yeah. dip in and out the stream, you totally. know. Totally. And then, I think that's and exactly if, right. if there's enough noise, they'll shout at me, and I'll I'll come deal with it. Well, and actually, this this is one of those subtle things, which is like you know, you have to as a as a, a worker in the modern economy, you have to regain your power. You really do. Yeah. As, and as much as me, a manager would want my folks to be all productive all the time. Like as a individual and human, in the spirit of this, you know, new dawn of humanity, or or whatever that book title was, I really should like regain some power. Yeah. And it's okay to like not do things that other people ask you to do. There it's okay. It's okay to say no. It's okay to slack once in a while. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to go on vacation. It's okay to go play with your kids instead of like doing X and Y for yeah. work. Yeah. And not just okay. I highly recommend it because it's healthy. Yeah, the good life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Yeah. What a what a happy positive note to end on. That's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I will. Although it's the opposite to Boz. I think Boz is very like you shall reply to all emails and do so quickly and like be in it. So well, he has a slightly CTO. different take there. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, I'm more your school on this actually, as my team will vouch for. Um, last one. Okay. This is the tradition now. So yeah. who should I invite next on the show, and what should I ask them? Uh, actually, I'm going to surprise you with two recommendations. Two people. Yeah, yeah, two people. Um, these are folks who, who I've been have the privilege of working more recently in my career. Okay. Um, first one is Nidika Bunsel, and she's the head of uh, engineering for all of uh, payments at Stripe, which cool. I think is like a really big job. <laughs> it's huge. And, you know, she's in Seattle. You should catch up, awesome. get coffee. Um, the other pers- uh, person is Charmaine um, Chap, who recently joined Stripe, but she was previously at Meta and, and Twitch. And I think just like contrasting and also just the, all the folks that you've already, uh, great folks you've brought on, uh, you know, like 
people who that, that have gone from like consumer to, to business to like some very specialist zones like payments, I think yeah. are fascinating stories to tell. Yeah. Uh, Nidika, for example, worked on like he worked on like the the series of Google voice communication things like Allo and Hello and I'm not sure how many that they've killed. And so she has like amazing stories to tell on how Google tried many, many times. You know, like um, the communicator type apps that Google uh, ch- had. The different chat apps, you mean? Yeah, I mean like from, and how many, they've probably killed more apps than they've had succeed, um, Google. But like amazing stories from that experience and learnings, and of course on Stripe. And then Charmaine was at Twitch, which is just like a, a yeah. unique phenomena in the universe. Yeah. Like yeah. nobody has recreated that. No. Um, and it just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, you kind so, of tried, right? You did some Twitch sort of like yeah, stuff. Yeah, Facebook, Facebook Gaming, Facebook did gaming. It. Yeah, 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 it's like, you yeah. know, so I have like deep respect for people who yeah. made Twitch, you know, Twitch. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think both of them would be fascinating. Okay, so uh, uh, Nidika, Shamin, you have been tagged here. Um, I will be reaching out. Yeah, yep. awesome. Well, thanks for coming in, Vivek. This, this is, is really awesome, actually. I, I love it, when, especially when I get some notes, which are for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is something I really want to think about. No, I appreciate Zuplo. it. So, um, no, it's great to catch up, and I yeah. just love everything you're doing. Thank you. Thanks. Awesome.